One, two, three, go. Alright, that was not as bad as before. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Alright, alright. Sounds good. Alright, Sarah. Start with the opening. Yeah, I'll go for the special. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Waiting for Stir Fry. This is our very first episode uh, of this brand new podcast. We'll try and uh, go through some interesting pieces for you guys to enjoy, and uh, we'll be going through some discussions about them. So let me introduce uh, our whole team here. Um, <laughs> my name is Edwin, and joining me are Sarah. Hey. And Jonas. Oh, hello. Um, so... For this very first episode, uh, we'll be actually covering a very interesting piece called The Death of Stalin. Um, is so this here, a movie, Edwin? Is this a show? Let me give you, so now I'll give you, <laughs> let me give you a little bit of an outline of what The Death of Stalin is, okay? So The Death of Stalin is a 2017 film, co-written and directed by Armando Iannucci. This is a historical dark comedy, and it stars a quite an ensemble cast of actors. Uh, included, including uh, Steve Buscemi, Simon Russell, uh, Simon Russell Beale, Jeffrey Tambor, Jason Isaacs, Rupert Friend, and many others. <clears throat> the film follows the events immediately before and after the death of the titular Stalin. Within that time frame, we observe the power struggle that the key members of the Soviet Politburo engage in in their effort to consolidate power. Um, I think for the purposes of this film, um, we watched it all on Netflix. So if you would like to take your, you know, your own read of the film, uh, it's available on Netflix as of May 2020. And uh, I guess now we can just talk about a little bit of a, why we chose this film, right? Yeah. Jonas? Uh, well, I think the primary thing and the big motivator for everyone was that this movie is pretty hilarious, uh, largely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And like most things that we try to choose, in addition to being actually entertaining, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of craftsmanship in, in what's done here. I um, think we have different sort of foca on what we liked and didn't like. But uh, overall, well done, very funny. Uh, and, it, and it covers, you know, an interesting thing is it covers something very dark with something very funny. And that contrast lends itself to a lot of uh, interesting discourse. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, for me, I think not only the comedy, uh, but I, th I think the main aspect that I really liked about this film is sort of that play on history and how it makes fun of history. And at the same time, it has to sort of cover a very difficult time in history. Uh, so that tension of making fun of horrible things and, and how to present them uh, was very interesting to me. Uh, and uh, so, Sarah, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you guys. I think the historical part of it definitely plays a big role, but also it doesn't assume that you know too much about, you know, the history behind it. And it also is just a really funny movie. I haven't seen it as many times as you guys, but it made me laugh a <laughs> decent amount. And uh, I guess most of the time while I was watching it, I was kind of wondering why I was laughing at it, too, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I watched it like, five times i don't think that was it was more like showing people but i found myself not hating it after five times so i think that's a good indicator that's definitely generally. definitely something yeah I, watched to say. It, I think i've watched it like four times and uh it's just as good every time you know <laughs> it has layers it's got like three whole yes, layers yes. yeah i agree 
Oh, I've seen um, it exactly twice, so perhaps I need to watch it a third time to get that layer in there. No, this is this is how we get our diversified opinions. We got so many. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So many perspectives. <laughs> so why don't we start our discussion, um, sort of on that point of, of you know how it makes us laugh? I think um, an interesting thing to note is that, um, at least for me, is that a lot of the comedy comes from that sort of um, that nebulous presentation of how. Um, well, history doesn't really get recorded as it is. It's, it's, you know, what's in the, when we get into history books is sanitized. And this movie presents us with a lot of events that, you know, maybe never happened or did happen. We, we don't know. Uh, maybe they were never recorded. Uh, a lot of them are quite ridiculous. And so maybe that's why, you know, the Soviet people never learned about them. And so I think that creates an interesting dynamic with with the comedy in the film because if you're being presented something as you know being part of some historical event here of course the the, the Soviet era uh, right after Stalin's death um, there is like um, there's something funny in that sort of you know hesitation that we have as an audience of um, believing what is being presented or not right so I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, or one of the things that I noticed is that, like, there's a kind of a mood of just cautious laughter throughout the film, and I think part of that is what you're saying, you know, it comes from the fact that all of this is history, but we don't know what's true and what's not, and also there's a lot of really frightening things going on, and so we don't really know if we should be laughing, but we are because it's funny, and so it's just a, an interesting contrast yeah, especially because it follows like real life figures. I mean, all of these the characters are people that you know at some point were part of the Politburo. Um, you know, I think the main character here, Steve Buscemi, is uh, Nikita Khrushchev. Mm -hmm. uh, but the the you know before we have that you know you have that sort of historical grounding all the time, and yet it throws things at you that are completely unexpected. I mean, the movie opens with this piano concert in which you know the concert finishes but Stalin calls in and he requests a recording of the of the of the concert but the concert was not recorded so they rush in to bring everybody back and, <laughs> and get a perfect recording back you know and and you know they go ahead and just get like random people from the street and and everyone's panicking because of that sort of um you know fear that they have of this right um, yeah i mean so it's like that's a good example of this kind of joke where it's funny because everybody's running around like chickens without heads because they're trying to get this recording done and half the audience already exited the theater and they're bringing in homeless people off the street like these people have never even heard this kind of music before but we need them in here so that they can absorb the sound from the orchestra <laughs> right but meanwhile I mean, like the reason they're doing all this is because they're worried they're going to get killed if they don't so it's like it's funny but is it really funny <laughs> right and it's also funny because we don't really know if it did happen or it didn't right it's like an absurd situation but not one so outlandish that you wouldn't believe did happen right yeah i was also questioning a lot throughout the movie how much of it was true and how much of it was false <laughs> jonas how about you yeah i think i think <laughs> i was reminded of one of my my favorite jokes of this <laughs> uh, of this opening sequence is uh one of the they're like we need you're right we need to bring in more people to deaden the acoustic and they can't they can't uh, they don't hold back the classic quintessential my wife would deaden the acoustic which I found highly amusing <laughs> which I don't know doesn't really relate to the rest of the humor but you know it's sort of it's not that serious is my take on it but um, 
it does bring up an interesting question of uh, does the humor dilute the, uh, the the terror experience, the horror experience, right? Like that's part of the dis- discussion. Is uh, I, I mean, we're mocking these things. To what degree are we delegitimizing that experience? That uh, catastrophe, calamity. I don't know. Throw some disaster words oh. in there. And I feel like my 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 take is I think that it does. It inherently takes away the horror to emphasize the terror. And what I mean by that is terror is like fear of something that's going to happen. Horror is, oh my God, I can't believe what's happening. Roughly. I, I mean, your definitions will vary depending on a textbook. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's reflected in the film. You have like, uh, yeah, when they have the NKVD shooting people, not, on, it's never on camera. The masses, it's often not shown all the atrocities. Although you do get a couple of shots of people being, you know, assassinated but the biggest one is uh barry's execution so there's definitely a an amount that the movie captures the terror the setting sort of the 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 psychological aspect more than the look at us shooting all these people and uh yeah it's more uh terror and psychological in that way than Hmm. than like ah here's blood yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but I think at the very, at the same time, it sort of, it sort of takes a sort of um, baseline that you know people are sort of familiar with the kind of atrocities that went around in this sort of time period. And I think what the movie tries to do is to like utilize the comedy to highlight sort of how those things were committed and show them on screen. Maybe not to create horror, but as you say, to create a, 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 a depiction of terror. And, uh, you know, I think one of the better parts of this is um, that same sequence with the piano concert where at the same time, the the friends who are with Stalin and his dacha have sent out all the lists that need to be executed. So uh, the list, of course, being a list of people that need to be found in the city and then transported as enemies of the state and then either executed or sent to gulags. And this is all happening at the same time as they're trying to get all the people <clears throat> that they need to go into the concert and it's it sort of underscores that yeah there's this horrible thing happening all the time in this sort of world and it's showing you why this whole concert thing is happening so i think the movie does a good job at conveying the atrocities that we're doing there you know i don't think it maybe gives you that feeling of horror but it just sort of exposes the terror that they lived under. Uh, I don't think that part is it's completely uh, obfuscated. Yeah, I don't think that it necessarily minimizes the horror of the situation, but I guess it kind of has you look at it in a different way since like we're laughing at the same time while these things are going on. <laughs> but, I mean, also, like some of the jokes, even though we're laughing, like we have that kind of nervous laughter feeling where it's like the joke is underscoring the terror of what's going on right like this guy is conducting on a stage in his bathrobe but it's because if he doesn't they might kill him and so we know that and like it's kind of funny but at the same time it's like oh god this is a really terrible thing going on <laughs> yeah and it's also i think it's shown throughout the movie that is uh, this sort of terror is ubiquitous 
it's all over <laughs> it's all over soviet it's all over soviet society right like um you know even the folks who are at the top of this chain right below stalin completely live in fear of him oh, and right. what he represents i want to say two right? things about that yeah one yeah. one is regarding the ubiquity of the terror is yeah. it's reflected they reflect it in the movie in this really great way which is probably more historical like prop making than a choice but the fact that stalin is everywhere like everywhere mm. in the movie like they've got a portrait you've got a bust he's always in a shot maybe you got a statue that's in the background i thought about going back and timing that just to see how often this guy was in the, in the shot <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah no, I, that definitely gets that pervasive sort of tone of like this is everywhere and you're right it goes right to the top even people directly around him don't feel safe and i think uh, one of the strongest ways that this gets across is in the characters and the acting. Uh, for example, at the very beginning, when Beria is talking to Stalin about, like, these are the lists. Who are we killing today? Uh, Beria tells him, he's like, well, here's this guy. I know you like him. Should we get his wife, too? And then Stalin says, oh, there are a couple. And then for, like, a couple of, there's, like, a couple of beats in Beria's face where it's, he like smiles and he looks down and he winces and like that tells you the whole story right there about what Barry's character is. He's afraid. And what we go on to see in the rest of the movie is that that terror compels him to try and control his, his safety, his fate, to use a stronger word. And eventually, you know, is his downfall because he won't adjust. But that's, uh, I think, farther down the road. I just really enjoyed those reflections of the terror. And I think that's a strong point of the movie. It's, it shows a very personal side, a lot of interiority regarding that. But it's it's not like overt. It's not like uh, people are shouting, I'm so afraid. It's it's subtle. Yeah. I mean, I think another good example is Khrushchev. Like he gets home mm-hmm. late at night after, you know, an evening hanging out with Stalin and the rest of the committee members. And he like lists out to her all the jokes that he made um, just in case you know, one of them got a bad reaction from Stalin and he needs to remember it in the morning and needs to, you know, <laughs> be cautious about something that might happen the following day. And it's so just, wife, you know, you routine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what did I say? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you didn't mention her. Oh, to sorry. Her. Yeah. He, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, for wife. me, it's actually, for me, it's mostly embodied by our, our, our dear friend Molotov. Oh my God. And, uh, Fuck that because, guy. <laughs> because, you know, Molotov, Molotov's, um, you know, wife was taken away by Stalin and Beria, right? And, uh, and apparently, all of them agreed that she was plotting against the uh, Stalin and the Soviet state. And later in the film, they um, um, we see that um, Beria is trying to free her as a pawn to use and convince Molotov to sort of, you know, bide to his will. Um, and um, we see Nikita Khrushchev go up to him and, you know, they have an argument about Polina and what they did to him. And Molotov cannot for one second bring himself to sort of admit to himself that, you know, this is sort of all wrong, that what they did was wrong about Polina and she didn't do anything. He's just still spouting this party line about her crimes and the like. And in this same shot, you see Polina being brought up by, by Beria. And, you know, he's like, and he's like, and Barry is like, do you remember Paulina? And he's like, yes, treacherous sow. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, then Barry is trying to sort of hint to him that she's in the other room and that, you know, you know, she wasn't guilty of anything. And he's like, no, 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 she was terrible. I did not want her. 
and 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 he sort of keeps that even after that scene where he's finally reunited with her you know it's it's so so frustrating to watch him yeah. Yeah, molotov <laughs> is is a great example of how the pervasiveness of the regime and you know it's not just like you're afraid but it's this weird double think slash stockholm syndrome you know, oh, I love this guy. Uh, and did, <laughs> I think my my favorite bit of that is this is that 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 scene with Beria when he's freeing Paulina, and he's staring at her right in the face. You get this really great close shot of Beria's goofy ass face, and then you switch to he's like trying to stifle his laughter as he tells Paulina Stalin's dead, and Paulina then just. Stalin? Our Stalin? Our yes. Stalin? And it's, it's, you know, you see this in a lot of ways. You know, obviously the, the mourners, Paulina, and then Molotov himself, who even up to the coup is like, oh, this is what Stalin would have wanted. And, uh, <laughs> this is what Stalin what? would have wanted. Meanwhile, they're like ending all the things that he was doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, 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 and that's the reason he gives for voting against Beria. Right? Like in the car, he's like, oh, yeah, is, this guy is uh, stomping on everything that's Stalin. And then and then he mentions, and he's murdering people. It's, and then uh-huh. Khrushchev is like, yeah, Beria is the murderer here, which was <laughs> a, a lovely little uh, little exchange. Yeah, and um, it's like they're all being hunted by the specter of, of Stalin. Like he's really uh-huh. still, he's gone in, in life, but he's still hunting them uh-huh. um, because of what they've created. Uh, what's interesting for me is the character of uh, Svetlana, because for me she's so supposed to embody an individual in this society that does not have that fear, that sort of fear of Stalin, because she, of course, is the daughter of Stalin himself, right? Mm-hmm. And so, as you see her in the movie, she's just a grieving daughter who's just lost her father, right? She has this naive view of Beria, of what he does, right? It's like, yeah, Beria takes people away, but he can bring them back. He doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't understand what that means to the people of, of, so, of the Soviet state. You know, she's like, oh yeah, no, my brother's nice. He's okay. He's not a bad guy. It's like, yeah, but he's kind of, you know, something that's difficult to deal with at a political level, right? And, and so I thought she was the more human character in this film because Interestingly enough, she's the one that doesn't have those shackles that everybody else has in this film. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things I noticed that was interesting, like when we first meet her, she shows up at Stalin's dacha and immediately she gets out of the car and she's like, look at this herb garden. Isn't anybody taking care of it? And like, <laughs> her father's already like dead or on his deathbed. She goes in that, inside and sees that there's like a lamp sitting on a chair. She's like, why would you put a lamp on a chair? Shouldn't it be like on a desk or something like that? And I thought it was weird when I, watching it, when I was watching it, but now that you say that, it's like, yeah, I guess that kind of reflects that she isn't kind of afraid of saying things like everyone else in this committee. She's just, yeah. you know, speaking her mind at the, at the things she sees. And, and at the end of the film, when, you know, Nikita has finally gone through and sort of this, it's his final rise to power from this point on, you see his tone changes to her, right? Yeah. She's like, no, you take this flight and you go to Vienna because at this point, you know, Stalin is gone. Now you are under this sort of oppressive regime that ironically I'm in charge of, right? (laughs) (laughs) But now she doesn't have a say. She doesn't have protection. And so, you know, I know Khrushchev's trying to protect her, but it's clear that now the protection is not not structural. Yeah, I think that was a powerful turning point. And you could see, like, before he was kind of struggling to, you know, win her 
to his side. And at that point, it's like, okay, he's in power now and he's telling her what to do and she's going to have to listen. Yeah. Right. You know, her brother, of course, is a disaster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's also, ironically, he's actually under fear, which is I find interesting, right? Because he's afraid. In the movie, apparently, he was in charge of the hockey team for uh, for Russia and it does not it's not quite explained why but apparently the hockey team died in a plane crash and of course he's trying to keep it from his dad <laughs> and so i think i don't know if that's so much fear of the system that his father's created or he's just afraid of like a little boy being afraid of what his, his dad will do to him yeah that's what it seems like yeah he's an interesting fella do we know how much of that is true like was he actually a drunk he was yes. in charge of the hockey team that's true and okay. he and it did crash <laughs> And he, he was did a cover it up. Wow. <laughs> he, was okay. he was a liability. Yeah. That's that's another point. A lot of this movie is fairly, fairly accurate to the records that we do have. That's a distressing thing. Reportedly, big quotation marks. And that kind of makes it even funnier, right? Because like you're watching the movie and you're like, this is so ridiculous. This can't possibly be true. And then it is true. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. Um, I, while, while, we were, while we were on the subject of uh, characters that don't fear... Yeah. Another character that stuck out to me that I thought, who the fuck is this guy? Is General Zukov. Because, like, he is... <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. I mean, he comes in, you know, takes off his jacket, like, 28? I want to say it was 28 medals ablazing. Yeah. <laughs> and he, like, punches Stalin's son, owns up to it, to Svetlana, like, does not give you know, a shit about anything or anyone's <laughs> opinion. And I think when you said that bit about Svetlana, that sort of was brought to mind because he also doesn't live in fear. But it's interesting because, you know, maybe he should. And right. it sort of explains why he's he's in this position of, he's basically, he's almost a deus ex machina in a way for, for all this shit where he's, he's the means by which Khrushchev can actually make his plans work. And the superpower is... Well, he's not afraid, and part of that is just military might, I suppose. But uh, yeah. I, I think for me, he's interesting because I, I do agree with what you're saying. But to me, what happens with um, with Sukov is that in the current regime, he is the highest person who is not under civilian control of the government, right? He's in charge of the whole Soviet military. And that means that he's protected from that so long as nothing – because he thinks that he's immune so long as he doesn't do anything that is improper – or illegal because you know it would right. be difficult to get a war hero. That's why he's so concerned with um, Khrushchev getting the support of the entire Politburo, because the moment that they would not agree with him, then then they can turn on him, right? Because then he did commit a crime, mm. right? So that's like the only time that you see him be hesitant is that sort of element of making sure that everybody's in on the plan. Mm. Um, yeah, and you also see him uh, have some sort of like allegiance to Stalin and, and the regime as a whole. So, you know, it might not just be a, a question of, I don't want to get got. It's, uh, you know, he might be principled, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, because he has that moment of, the people deserve to see him. Uh, and, yeah. That's my hot take on mm -hmm. that. <laughs> I think on characters, though, um, what I find interesting is what the movie does with Beria. Because this is a movie filled with awful people. I mean... Yes historically awful people but Beria doesn't get the benefit of the comedy to alleviate his position right like all the things that he's shown doing are shown to make him be the bad guy mm -hmm. and in a comedy i think it works because it has to have a, a narrative and b <laughs> it has to have it has to have 
it has to have a justification for the endpoint, right? Because most companies do not have like deaths happen in it that stick around, right? That's like a like a not something not funny. Killing people in cold blood is not something that's funny. <laughs> what do you mean? If you, I don't I don't know what you mean. <laughs> what I mean is that this there's this whole subplot throughout the film where Beria is um, shown to be a rapist, right? Not not explicitly, but there's a strong subtext with the the, the girl that's that they take subtext. from the dacha. That's that's pretty textual. They, yeah, but it, they, it's, they, it's not, it's they not... basically pan to the fireplace, and that's right. it. <laughs> right. It's not graphic, right? Yes. Um, but what I'm saying is that that's also not played for jokes, right? Okay. The little girl that gets taken is not played for jokes. That's supposed to directly signal to the audience, this man is rotten. Right, and of course he does the same things that all the other people are doing—the plotting, the scheming. But on top of that, they pile on this element, where he's not revered, he's not sort of immune, and he's shown to be bad, and no comedy is added to it. I will say they don't—he is not the same. I don't think, I don't think he is the same. And the movie shows this in sort of his characterization. He is made to be berating. He is made to instigate conflict. He is made to completely gaslight people, debase them, like when he's talking shit to Molotov on the stairs. Uh, he's all—I mean, he's always like making some comments to undermine the people around him. There is no point to Nikita Khrushchev. He's talking about the pajamas. He's, you know, mm-hmm. there's always something—the tomato thing, where he, you know, makes a mockery of Khrushchev again. I mean, uh, he, there, there's a lot—the corset bit. <laughs> <laughs> where he undermines Malenkov, which you know, is a whole other character. So I, I don't think, I don't think Beria is just narratively made to be the bad guy just because. Well, let me phrase that differently. Obviously, we narratively need a bad guy, and Beria serves a good position. But I think it is justified in a way, given that he is a complete asshole, for lack of a better term. And like I said, the best part of it is that you going back to what you were saying about. Uh, I don't know if you were saying this, but one thing I took from it was that there is a certain ambiguity to all the characters. That the, you know, even the good guys in the movie are complicit to the atrocities, and you sort of see the reverse of that with Beria, with like these little flashes of of, of, of humanity. I, I mentioned before the, the the scene with Stalin where he shows fear and and that, but there's also his last scene is also that, and it's really good. And it's just this little whip crack of sympathy for the guy they just executed for, for uh, you know, rape and anti-Soviet behavior. And it was just this moment of going from yelling at everybody and saying things like, what's the logic? You're the rapists to please don't hurt me. That was, ooh, ooh, what a scene. Um, and another thing to go with it is that... Uh, when Vasily takes out the gun, yeah, when at the autopsy of Stalin, you see Beria move to the back, and he sort of just like leaves. And this is sort of a thing that shows up a few times with, with Malenkov, where he sort of leaves the rest of the people in a tense situation. But Beria does it then, and it's when the mortal fear kind of comes up. And I found that uh, you know a good little detail. Uh, these these group scenes are are just fraught with little detail, and I I really like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I do think, though, I think I agree more with Edwin on the the idea that the comedy kind of frames Beria as the villain. Because like, even the jokes you mentioned, 
in all those situations, he's the bully, right? So we're kind of led to oh, yeah. dislike him. I don't disagree and, with that. Yeah, the ending scene was definitely powerful, although I still didn't I didn't find myself having any sympathy for him. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. And I don't know, maybe you did, but I think by that point I was like, finally, like get this guy I mean, out of here. <laughs> for for sure, like on the first level, I think it was in the later viewings when I was like really looking oh, at the characters and trying to find like, you know, how how do, how are these people shown to be people? And and after seeing that first scene with Stalin, I really had my eye on Barrier, like. I want to see more that shows this guy's humanity because like what motivates this guy to do what he does and it's fear and it's fear for his life. Yeah. Just like everyone else, which is is really interesting and and unifying in a way. And even though we have a bad guy, it's all sort of gray area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the way the movie humanizes all of the characters is a big part of, you know, what makes it funny and what makes it relatable to the viewer, right? Like not only Beria, Mm -hmm. but like Khrushchev, like going back to what we were saying at the very beginning, like these are names that we've probably only heard in history books. And now like we see them doing all these silly things, putting tomatoes in each other's pockets, like <laughs> people calling Nikita Khrushchev, Nikki, like he's their best friend. Right. Like it kind of, it definitely makes them all more relatable and I guess makes the, the viewers able to sympathize, even though they're all murderers, right. which, is in, which is interesting. <laughs> You, you get that interview, that that that, uh, that really personal view that makes it sort of real, that makes it better than, you know, here's here's a documentary or makes it better than just slapstick. It's sort of yeah. blending the two things. Right. Yeah, it's definitely blending. And there's a lot of that like slapstick or just like silly humor in there, too. Like that doesn't really have anything to do with the like terror of the situation, but just kind of jokes that they throw in that are still just as funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know. They're consistent. They're consistent with the character, especially yeah. Malenkov. Like his whole bit is <laughs> what oh, a God. what a what a dope is the word I'll use. Yeah, Malenkov yeah. is it's it's you know he's driven by fear, but he also doesn't have the you know audacity of of the other characters, right? He's yeah. a weak leader, yeah, and he's portrayed that way. While Nikita is. He's just as culpable as the others in violence, but he sees himself as somebody trying to change the status quo, right? While Beria is somebody who's trying to protect himself and that status quo yes. that allows him to sort of act without impunity, with impunity. Yes. Um, but the other characters, I think it's, of course, an issue of runtime, but the other ones just doesn't seem to get much characterization except these three, right? That, the, I, other, yeah, the other members of the Politburo are sort of either shown to just be interested in self-interest, like talking about their suits and things like that, mm-hmm. or, or um, you know, are just sort of... A caricature I'll... of the Stalinist regime? I hate Molotov. Right. Have I mentioned that? <laughs> I find Molotov to be hilarious. He, he is, is funny. such a... He is funny. I, I just can't do... I can't get over that goofy-ass grin of his, especially in the beginning scenes. You have the introduction of Malenkov and then Molotov, Malenkov is like, well, he's going to die. And, you know, he's got this great frown that he wears for like 90% of the movie. That's and right. And you bend, you bend to Molotov and he's just waving mouth agape as if everything's fine when he's, you know, on the list. <sighs> yeah, I hate that guy. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> <sighs> um, I think uh, what's in the interesting, another element to think about this. Is that yeah, you know, we're seeing this movie through our modern lenses. And it is a modern film, right? Made for modern audiences. 
And I think an interesting point to consider is when we watch a movie about history like this, is how does our biases play into it and how was it constructed, you know, not being a contemporary film, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you think about it, this sort of perspective of the ineptitude and atrocities of the Russian regime during this time frame are something that we just read in history. But is that the same to what you would see in like a Russian school? Probably not, right? And I think... Yeah, (laughs) I think you're right. um, And at the same time, how much does this film assume about what the viewer should know about this part of history, right? I think it it's an interesting film because it can it rewards if you have a background on it, but it doesn't detract if you do not. And I think that's a very delicate balance to have in a film. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like I said at the beginning, I don't think it really assumes you know anything about you know the time yeah. period. I think it's I think a lot of the jokes maybe are funnier if. Um, you had a certain opinion of Stalin and Khrushchev coming into the movie. Um, but I think if you don't know anything, it's you could still get something out of it. Yeah, like for me, uh, I knew that Stalin was a big fan of John Ford. And so with that with that scene where they're watching the John Ford Western at, and the, the star of the movie really cracked me up. Do you, mean, expect him. do you mean John Wayne? Or was it John Ford? No, no, no. no John, John Ford's, Ford's the director, director of Westerns. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah, Molotov yeah. then did the John Wayne bit. Gotcha. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, it, it rewards that little, those little bits, and it still has a lot of slapstick nonsense in it, right? Like for example, I think Sarah, that bit about uh, when they're trying to take people out of their homes to you know take care of the lists, and they're <laughs> taking the person out of the, out of the out of the apartment, and the guard just makes sure to turn off the light as it's going outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> just There's lots so of things silly. like that in this film. Yeah, or or you know Nikita calling the. The dresser for the funeral, uh, Slim Hitler. The <laughs> uh, right. Just great writing. Just great writing. Yeah. I, I, it just, yeah. It balances the film so that you do not need to have a strong historical context. And it rewards um, having that. Which I think is not the case with many films like this. I think so. Yeah. No, I, I would lean more towards it being self-contained. I don't know that I... You know, I I would love to hear more examples if you have them, but I think I think the very true of the movie is it's fairly self-contained. Um, speaking of little details uh, <laughs> that were funny, um, when Malenkov, when they're in the stairway scene with the little girl, and Malenkov says his, you know, you can all kiss my Russian ass, the the soldier just like covers the little girl's eyes. <laughs> so, <laughs> just yeah. little details. Yeah, yes, I think little details, little polish. details. That polish. was great. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's another example of just like, okay, now that soldier has just been humanized because he's like trying to shield this little girl <laughs> from yeah. this other guy saying ass. It's like, I don't know. It's, yeah. Right. Also, that whole bit with, with the girl is just another little snippet of just comedy that right. is just added to the film. <laughs> and they're standing on just the balcony carried... waving. <laughs> yes, because it's carried through the movie. You know, at first, like, find me the girl. It's like, we couldn't find the girl. How about this girl? It's like, no. I want the real girl that was sitting with Stalin in that picture. And then they find her in the later scene, and he's like, what is this? She's, She's as the big as an ostrich. <laughs> and it just that shows it, even more what an idiot Malenkov is, right? Yes. Right, right. He has an idea of what a strongman is, but he has no perspective of why that works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just he trying really... to... <laughs> That's interesting. But yeah, he really has no 
there's no ambition, no real need to be there. It, it does raise the question. I found myself thinking, like, why is this guy the deputy? <laughs> How did <laughs> he end did, up here? Did, yeah, why that's did, true. Why did Stalin pick I, I, him? I I have no idea. That is a good question. Yeah, I left the movie. I left the movie thinking, what the fuck? How, how can this guy <laughs> have? The whole Russian power in this thing. And if you look at the history, he did not stay in power for very long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it like a week? Something like that? I no, I think it was like a year or two. Um, really? The movie okay. definitely compresses a lot of time. That's true. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, I was just going to touch on another detail. Um, since you mentioned the, the John Ford movies, something that I noticed in particular was that there were a lot of kind of American or just, you know, other pop culture references that made things a little bit more relatable and also were kind of unexpected because like, okay, they're naming all these American movie stars. Um, like Berea calls Malenkov Karloff at one point comparing him to Frankenstein's monster. Right. So it's, it makes it more funny, but it's also like, okay, these guys are all directly under Stalin and they're in Russia. Why do they, why are they making all these references to American pop culture? Don't they hate America? It's just a kind hmm. of an interesting thing. Yeah. And they also not that, anti-american in this film right like you would i don't know if that's by the well, design of the creator it is an, it is an american the, made film you know <laughs> no i understand that goes right back but to your point what I, yeah what i thought interesting is that they don't sort of have them talk about america a lot. i mean the main thing they show is when they're trying to get what was it the the machine yeah uh, to that's what i was about to mention brain, they were like oh the respirator it's, it's a it's a machine the that was brought in from america and they're all like oh god but it's kind of i don't know it seems like a joke <laughs> as if they probably use American right. machines all the time, but just on the surface, they they say that they can't. Right, <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right, right. And I think it also kind of fits the time frame, right? Like at this time, the Cold War is just getting started. Yeah. Uh, you know, Stalin dies in 54. This really doesn't escalate until later. Um, so it, it makes sense to me. But you can clearly see that, you know, there are parts of it that they're aware of this sort of Western thing. I mean, they do send Svetlana to Vienna, right? Uh, where they think she'll be safer. Mm. So, um, let me see here. Is there any other points we've missed here, Janice? Um, you like to cover? Let me, let me, let me. We've got, we've got a long list. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's all written down. Uh, I mean, I can't emphasize that scene enough. That scene is so good, where where Beria just flips out, and you know, when his 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 house of cards essentially tumbles, it's it's the the climax of the movie, in my opinion. Is right. when he's they're on the stairs and Barry just lets loose and points out everybody's sort of what they've the crimes they've committed, the atrocities they've committed in the name of the party. And that, I thought that was a really good moment. I don't know. I don't know why, but Barry just really comes across as a I wouldn't say tragic hero, obviously, but he really comes across as a person. They did a good job with that. But, and mm -hmm. yeah, him him and Khrushchev. Just really well done. Uh, I had something, but I've lost it, and now I will um, how trail about, off. <laughs> all right, but how about I think I think the only character that we haven't discussed, and it's kind of weird because he's the main character of the film, is uh, Khrushchev himself. My guy. <laughs> My guy. <laughs> I, I think, think. Go ahead. I think you and I share very different views on Khrushchev here in this film. I, I think I've polished my views since we talked about this before, but uh, hmm. I think you're right. I think we're gonna throw down a little all right. bit. So, <laughs> I, 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 so I'm going to start with my view of Khrushchev. All right. So I think I do agree that Khrushchev is trying to bring about some change. And that he feels that a lot of what Barry is doing is undermining it, but not undermining because he cares about the people, but because he cares about power. 
And it's not very clear how much of that is also in Khrushchev, how he cares about power. He does kind of act goofy, right? He doesn't act like uh, with celery like like Beria does. So, but what I don't, I cannot give him though is that he has a master plan here. I think he stumbles onto winning in the end, because what happens in the later part of the movie is that the trains are closed. Beria has taken over the city. You know, uh, the general is upset because the Russian army is not allowed in, and then out of spite from something that. They have a discussion, right? I think it's because of Barrier threatening with the pianist. Um, Nikita just says, screw this and let's open open up the railroads and let the people come into the city, which then leads to the MKDV uh, under Varia to shoot at the people who are trying to approach the city because you know they have orders and they make a mistake. And then as a result of this, that's used as an excuse for them to eventually you know, get Barrier killed. But what I see Khrushchev doing in those scenes after he learns about what's happened in the streets of Moscow is that he's trying to survive himself because he opened the trains. So he doesn't want to get the blame for it. And Beria is, of course, the obvious person to put it on. And so it, it kickstarts this race where, they, where he and Beria are trying to blame each other and not catch the blame. And he just sort of happens to win ahead. I think that's my interpretation of the character. He gets I... lucky in getting the power, but he doesn't have like that sort of drive to attain it like, like the other characters do. I think, I think let me comment on that and then give my take. I think luck certainly yeah. played a part of it. I think a bigger, you know, I think you wouldn't be giving him credit for all the sort of people personing that he does, all the getting people on his side that he does. I think that's a non-trivial task, especially when you have, you know, fuckwits like Molotov <laughs> and but trying to get him though? to come around. It does work. He he eventually, you know, he eventually acts and gets his thing together. But I, you know, I'm not, you know, I think you're right. He didn't really have a master plan. And I think that's fine. I think the bigger issue, Beria's demise was mostly Beria's doing. Yes. As, Mal- as Malenkov said, you know, this is all sort of your doing when they're talking on the stairs. And... Yeah, I think that's the primary thing we should take away there. And Khrushchev, let me let me jump to one of the sort of like a larger theme at the end that I thought was interesting that the movie is getting at is you have it, we just executed Beria. You're walking toward uh, Georgie. Uh, Khrushchev says, "I'm worried about Georgie. Can we trust him?" Uh, Kaganovich says, "Can you ever trust a weak man?" Implying no. But then think about. Can you ever trust a strong man after everything we've seen? We just executed one in the yard. He smells like rendered horse, apparently. <laughs> and well, the answer to that is no also. So there's, in the end, the movie's sort of, you know, the, the takeaway there could be, uh, you know, the movie wants to reward the gray area. The gray area is where you need to be. Or it's sort of not threading the needle, not playing both sides, but you got to be a little dynamic. You can't be Georgie having some sort of principle trying to save Beria and then not doing anything. And you can't be Beria trying to be an asshole and wrest control from everybody because that's not going to work. You know, you have, you can't trust a strong man, you can't trust a weak man, but you have to trust someone. And I think Khrushchev plays that ambiguity or that gray area really well. I think that's sort of his bit. Because you're right, mm-hmm. he's a goofball, but he gets serious. He's He gets assertive. But he's also listening to people the entire time. He tries to get uh, Malenkov on board voluntarily, just discourse. But eventually, mm-hmm. 
stops him in the hallway. You will fucking sign this. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, that's why I think Khrushchev is our guy, so to speak. And it's not because he's this master planner. It's not because he's the best. It's because he was able to act in this sort of ambiguous gray area way. Yeah. And I don't think it's like the movie saying, hey, be ambiguous. I just think it was, that's why, that's why he was able to do it. Sorry, how about you? You have any thoughts on Khrushchev? Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds like you guys are kind of saying similar things, right? Like, I agree. He obviously didn't have a master plan on how to go about this from the beginning. It seems like he kind of just goes with the flow when he needs to, right? Like, he'll vote along with everyone else when he knows doing otherwise wouldn't get him anywhere. Um, and he, he says what he needs to say in order to get everybody on board with you know, the plan he does eventually come up with. And I think he does get kind of lucky in that all the pieces you know, fell together at the right time. But he also, you know, he definitely had a drive at that point, and he was trying to get this thing done. Um, so I don't think yeah. saying that he has no drive is really correct, but I do th- agree with you that, like, he may not have had a plan, you know, out, the ga- out of the gate. Well, I mean, for me, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that he is a good person who can talk people into things, because all throughout the film, he kind of fails miserably. I mean, the ending sequence, he cannot convince Georgie. And technically, he lied to everybody else. Yeah. He convinced them by lying, which I guess is fine, you know, in this sort right. of Right, I mean, he did, he did what he had <laughs> but, to do. And even if he, right, didn't right, convince, right. even if he didn't convince Georgie, he, he still got, he got what he needed to get done, done. Right, right, right. And when he decided to move the pieces, he acts decisively and with great speed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! But yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I could see that. Yeah, and I agree with Jonas. Like the the movie definitely paints him to be like the most trustworthy character somehow. Even like while he's lying to everybody, it seems like for some reason this guy will be a, a good leader in the end. Yeah, because that's not his first recourse. He's not like all right, I'm going to manipulate him and tell him that and tell them that. It's, right. You know, he has a goal in mind that is you know not dependent on yeah on the means it's like okay it's like, i have i have five minutes to get you on my side i'm gonna do what i need to do because <laughs> it's for the good of russia <laughs> right hmm. okay i mean i mean yeah and he does get lucky with that molotov in the end ends up being kind of a bastard because he invites him to the car and he's like yeah i'm on board with you right. screw barrier <laughs> <laughs> then uh, you know he's kind of like incredulous it's like oh it was this easy it's like okay i guess <laughs> um which kind of says something about uh, molotov yeah to me but like yeah i mean you have that scene at the stairs again it's barrier molotov and and Khrushchev, and you know it the dichotomy is there clear as day Molotov is talking to Khrushchev about the bishops. <laughs> Khrushchev is like talking to him. Whereas when Beria comes around, he just completely shits on Molotov, like completely undermines him. He gives that great line about, uh, this is a new reality. And then Khrushchev's like, what is this fucking wordplay? Uh, yeah, this is right. just fucking wordplay. And it's, yeah, that's my point being. That, that 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 dichotomy there in in their approach is shown, and I think that's why, you know, that's that's Khrushchev's strength, so to speak, or at least that's the difference between the two. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, to your point about whether you can trust a strong man or a weak man, I think what we see is that you cannot trust a weak man, which is Malenkov, right? Because right. obviously it can be manipulated. But the difference is that I, when it comes to a strong man, they usually don't care if you can trust him or not. 
right? Like Stalin is shown to be a strong man. And the reason he rules is because he has fear on That's his right. side, right? Yes. Beria doesn't get that. He, none of the characters in this movie particularly fear him because they know they can do something about him. And mm. they do, in fact, throughout the whole film. And I think that's why he fails. Um, so I don't think you can trust any guy. I think the movie is showing that if you are ruthless enough to make everybody fear you, you can rule however you want, right? Well, um, yeah, I was going to say. My, and, and the alternative is that you thread a needle like Khrushchev did, right? Right. I think, I think the biggest part that you mentioned there that completely undermines that theory of you can't trust a strong man is Stalin is the strong man. And he... Right. Yeah, what did him in was not people. He was good. He was good to go. <laughs> Otherwise, exactly. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's part of why this is not all clear. The movie isn't just saying you gotta thread the needle because clearly you don't. It's more about these two characters and setting up why yeah. Beria failed. Um, right. right. It seems like Beria never actually became that strong man because he wasn't right. able. And to... I think mm. I think the last shot of the movie sort of drives in that point. Is that yes, you can become the leader of this thing, but the only yes. way to stay until the end, right? is to be Stalin. Otherwise, somebody else can just try and do the same thing to you. And that's why they show with Brezhnev looking over the shoulder to Nikita Khrushchev in the last, uh, right. in the concert at the end. With the subtitle of Brezhnev would depose him X years later. And so, well, yep, right, that's, right. that sounds right. The hustle mm -hmm. stays the same. The game never changes. <laughs> right. And only, you can only stay there till the end if you pull off something terrible like Stalin. Right. And you completely change society to your bidding. Jeez, Stalin changed yeah. the status quo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the word, the word play, the back and forth. I don't think we've talked yeah. about it because it would just devolve into us quoting our favorite lines of the movie. But the word mm -hmm. play, the dialogue is really yeah. good. It's all, it's all part yeah. of the realistic characters and really good writing. Just, Georgia, yeah. we have to act now. It's like <laughs> act somber, act polite, <laughs> act respectful, please. <laughs> uh. Oh, it's very good, very good. All right, I think I think that's 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 a a good stopping point for the discussion, right? I think, I think we can move on to give our one, final thoughts. I have one more thing that I think I want to throw okay. in, and it uh, let me let me find my note on this because I am a little scatterbrained about it at the moment. But uh, yeah, going back to actually the very beginning where we were talking about about that history, the true history is never in the books. I would paint that as more of you know, if you were to take it in a more personal lens, which is really more what I'm taking, not personal like me, but if you look at the characters and their interiorities, and not really that even, just the characters in the story. Truth is a story that shifts depending on who tells it. it is, is the, and this comes up a lot. It is a major theme. Um, right, you've got Soviet planes do not crash. You've got the opening shot with Stalin writing he's a little rat man because let's face it he's not particularly formidable in in this movie he's at his desk writing and then you've got this big majestic portrait of him on the other side of the shot and it's this great contrast of well this is what's real and this is what we're going to tell uh and then barrier driving that point home on the stairs you know those stairs got a lot of action in this movie it's <laughs> this is a new reality uh and it's because oh this is a new reality referring to Khrushchev telling him, uh, you raped, killed, arrested, etc., executed all these people, and now I'm setting them free. They'll be freer than you can imagine, or some some shit like this. And it's the idea that, hey, it's it's who's telling the story, and it shifts. And this happens with the, the Paulina thing, and 
I mean, it's it's everywhere and it's portrayed really well. I have more examples, but I don't want to drag on this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, I we leave the rest of the examples as an exercise to the listener. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a movie about how, you know, the history that we get is a sanitized version that either the powerful or victors wrote. But the true reality within it must have been both more ridiculous, more real, and maybe more horrible than we can probably imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that the people involved, and that the people involved were complex. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, they're not the they're not the portraits that we see hanging around, Ex- idolizing them. Yes, yes, and uh, there's another another one of Khrushchev's closing lines to Svetlana was, uh, "This is what happens when your story doesn't fit." It's like, ah, well, there that is again. There's that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now uh, for this next section, we'll just, um, I guess we'll just give a recommendation of the film um, according to what, what, you know, the audience that we think would really enjoy it. And then we'll uh, maybe give it a score that we find appropriate or, you know, some thoughts (laughs) of how it should present it. Um, So I guess I will start. (laughs) Why not? I think if you're somebody who has a knowledge of the general points of history, who Stalin is, you know, the Cold War and things like that, you will find this movie enjoyable. If you have a strong PhD in history, you will find this movie enjoyable. <laughs> and what it achieves, it does masterfully. It's it's a del- delicate balance to make comedy out of both horrible events and history itself. And coupling both of them together and creating such a fantastic comedy is just masterclass work from Yenuchi and, and the whole team. Uh, so I'll give it five uh, exploded tomatoes in your pocket out of five. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's a lot of exploded tomatoes. Yeah. You could fit five tomatoes in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. All I right, mean, Jonas, how about you? Oh, uh, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, that's that's Sure, yeah. I was, I was just going to say... I'd, pretty much agree. I think what's special about the movie is that it's able to make us all laugh at Stalin's regime and relate to all these men in the committee, even though they're murderers. Um, it pulled off multiple different kinds of humor, um, created some really interesting characters about, or out of historical figures whose, whose names we pretty much only knew before this. And it doesn't assume much about the viewer's knowledge of the time period. Although, like you said, you know, if you do know a lot about the history, it'll still be enjoyable for you. And yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone who enjoys dark humor that pokes fun at, at history or, or politics or anything like that. Oh, and my rating, uh, I'm going to give it a beef stroganoff with a side of smiley fries. All right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I obviously enjoyed the movie. I thought it was made well. You guys have said a lot of the, the virtues of the movie, so I won't really dwell on that too much. I, I just want to say that one thing, I, and going back to why we chose this, is there's a lot here. There's a lot here. We could keep going probably for a whole other hour, but we won't. And I think that's sort of, you know, what we were aiming for, uh, for, for this episode, for the podcast. And hopefully that's what we continue to do. Uh, I, I didn't really come up with a rating. I am, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Potato suspended in jello. I don't know. Some cheese. Jonas's rating thing. is eight pages of notes that we didn't get to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but to be fair, about six of those pages were uh, not worth talking about. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Well, I I think I'll 
uh, that'll be it for this uh, episode. Uh, thank you to all of you, our listeners, for tuning in and listening to our ramblings about the death of Stalin. And I uh, hope they will join us for our next episode where we'll tackle another piece of media that we hope you will give a try. Yep. Time to go eat our We're stir waiting. fry. Yeah, it's ready. I was going to say, it's been like a fucking hour. Where's my stir fry? <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. I will point out to the listeners that we do have a mailbag. Uh, if you want to send questions, comments, you know, have you got a cool reading that we didn't get to? Did you see some great details that we didn't? Do you have a suggestion mm. of something we should watch and cover? Send it at waitingforstirfry at gmail.com. We'll buy a domain name eventually, maybe. But until then, waitingforstirfry at gmail.com.